Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 19. An update on Alvin. The story of Ross Bagdasanery and Senior Liberty Records format films and The Alvin Show. With a change of production artists, it's full steam ahead to get this book done and in your hands by March. Ah, uh, the delays. You gotta love them. Today I interview my first female guest. Denise McKinney is a collector of matchbook covers and other old kitschy stuff and vintage thrift. She makes it a habit to visit Southern California diners with older decor. She is also the author of Morrissey FAQ, a book devoted to the former lead singer of the Smiths, who has had a fairly successful solo career as well. Here he is. I mean, here she is. Denise McKinney. Uh, so on the phone I have Denise McKinney. How are you today? I'm good, good. And uh, just wanted to ask you, basically, I know you're into things like matchbook collecting or match cover collecting. I don't know the proper term. <laughs> How did you get interested in collecting things like that and other vintage ephemera? Well, I've always kind of liked older things. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so I love 80s things but my neighborhood was heavily developed like in the 1950s and 60s so I kind of got a, a taste of it just by shopping going you know throughout my neighborhood um, I've always liked old TV um, it's just history has always been my number one subject in school so I don't know there's just something about the old way of life and vintage things that always appealed to me um, not just the history part of it but you know the artwork or the, the typography and just I don't know it just seems like people cared more back then <laughs> and that shows in any kind of collectibles ephemera anything from that era so I've just always had an interest in it okay um, you know in regards to your match cover collecting what do you consider your prized possession? <laughs> well, everyone has their own different prized possession or you know, the holy grail. Um, there is a holy grail when it comes to matchbook collecting, um, and that is a, there's two. They're Charles Lindbergh covers from 1927. Oh, wow. They only made a few, because um, one was for a dinner, one was for a luncheon in 1927. They're rare, though, because, they're, like I said, there wasn't many produced and um there's a typo on them one says captain one says colonel so those are the holy grail but they're not my holy grail um yeah i mean no people always ask like what's the holy grail i'm like well technically but every collector has stuff they're interested in Mm -hmm. um one of my favorite covers and i always tell people i guess it is my absolute favorite cover um i have one from Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco that was on the Sunset Strip in, you know, the 70s. Um, To me, that's my holy grail because how many of those really existed, I mean, not existed, but came away from there, you know, that weren't destroyed or completely used up or damaged. And, um, you know, it is a part of L.A. rock and roll history, you know. So to me, like, I love that one. That's one of my absolute favorites in my collection. But everyone has their own different holy grail or favorite matchbook i know when you posted on facebook which i'm really impressed with uh you can describe it better than i can but it was something to do with kentucky fried chicken or something like that with a oh yeah <laughs> uh, 
no, that is, I guess that's my second Holy Grail. Okay. Um, well, I don't know if it's well, Holy Grail, but I remember it was, <laughs> I was, I was impressed with it, and I don't even collect the things, really. <laughs> oh, okay, well, oh, yeah, I know, it's, um, they put these out, I want to say in the 50s, um, it's a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I don't know if they gave them out or you were able to buy them, because a lot of places sold you know, the nicer matches or, or, you know, sets of matches, um, like in a gift shop or things like that. Kentucky Fried Chicken doesn't have a gift shop, so I'm, I'm assuming these were probably given away, like, at a grand opening or, or something like that. But it's a box, and it has three buckets. Well, they're supposed to be buckets, but they're barrels mm-hmm. of matches, and they look like Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets of chicken. But the box itself has, like, all about the uh, 11 herbs and spices, and it has old Kentucky home on it, and all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And those are not necessarily super hard to come by, but in great condition they're hard to come by. So I was very thrilled I got this and someone gave it to me like from their collection for my birthday so it made it even better but it, it's you're right it's, it's pretty amazing that like I said it's it's survived that long mm-hmm. in such great condition so I, I, I do love that one too you're right I did make a video about that one so, <laughs> I, I forgot, forgot. Are, are they wooden matches or paper matches in that case uh, they're wooden okay. because if it's in like a barrel or okay. in a matchbox okay. those are wooden the only paper ones are on an actual matchbook so Okay, um, and are there any now that you're kind of on the lookout for? <laughs> well, you know, we all, well, we all have our categories of different ones we collect. Um, I'm someone, a collector, that I really don't collect new matches, <laughs> and um, I know a lot of them do. Like, you, you'll see it on my Facebook. People will be like, well, you went to that restaurant. Did they have any matches? <laughs> I, I didn't ask because, to me, I like the vintage ones, you right. know, and I like the history of it. Um, newer matches are hard to find. But uh, they are coming back. It's mostly matchboxes are coming back. And it's more like hipstery restaurants or upscale restaurants are coming out with more matchboxes and casinos because that's the only place you can still really smoke is in a casino. But, um, you know, I just, you know, with my categories, uh, you know, I just look to try to fill them out as best as I can. But new matches, I'm there's nothing really I'm looking for new-wise unless it's just funny or hysterical or there's something about it but um yeah yeah, i just keep collecting you know and my categories change all the time because you got to keep it fresh so So, so i'm always on the lookout so vintage wise what are you looking for well the elusive (laughs) i'm I'm trying to like condense it because you know i can go on and on about matches Um, well i you know there's general collectors which kind of collect a little bit of everything a lot of collectors now really specialize in different categories so you'll meet someone like I, I know someone who only collects pizza or Italian restaurants wow. so that's all he wants so I think after a while you'd get kind of bored because well you know, there's only so many you know but um, I have a couple categories that I collect geographically and um, one of them is Southern California so that's always my biggest category and I'm always on the lookout for those um, unlike stamps and coins though at least stamps and coins there's a beginning and an end and you know exactly what was produced, what was out there. So you have something to go off of. Matches is never ending. So you might think, like, oh, I have a pretty good, you know, Hollywood collection. No, you'll find some more that you didn't have or didn't even know, you you know, existed. And you're like, oh. So I'm always trying to build up my, my Southern California collection. Um, other categories I collect just to keep it fun. Um, I collect what I call party animals. So it's animals that drink. 
on the cover. Um, and there is quite a few, really. <laughs> they're like bars and lounges. Um, I like cannibal animals. So it's like a steer holding a steak. You know, wow. like Sizzler. So that's another category. Um, I like cafeterias. Um, what else do I collect now? Dogs. Uh, World's Fair. Um, Route 66. Um, and then there's always like subcategories of categories, you know. Um, I do collect, like I used to collect just, and I know it's not being right, but like handicapped people because but it's not bad because you just need new stuff and you need something new to hunt so that's a whole new thing like oh here's someone in a wheelchair i'm going to add it to my collection you know (laughs) you do you have to keep it fresh and you have to think outside the box just so you're not getting bored of matchbook collecting (laughs) but um i have a lot of little subcategories um you know because like i said you got to keep it interesting and fun and it, it is never ending and I assume because, uh, you know, I have a few matchbooks, but and I'll talk about them in a second, but I mean, in collecting, it's more prestigious or desirable to have the actual matches still in it rather than just the cover itself, correct? No. Really? Oh. No. Oh. Um, yeah, you can. No, you can collect however you want. Okay. You know, we never tell you, don't do this, don't okay. do that. Well, I know, like, but... in comic book collecting, there's really kind of about things so I thought maybe matchbooks no, maybe they're a little right. more lesser <laughs> <laughs> it is, no it is and you really can collect how you want mm-hmm. um, but mostly traditionally in the hobby and um, you'll hear me refer to that because there's people who collect matches mm-hmm. but they're not in the actual like the hobby is what we call it so they're, they don't participate like in clubs or the conventions and things like that so in the hobby and I'm using air quotes when I say that the hobby um, they suggest you take the matches out which is called shucking right and um, that way it's just easier to store because you can put them in binders that way and you can use them for your displays if you do make displays and things like that the only matches we suggest you don't take out are in a feature matchbook and a feature is if you open it and there's actual artwork on the matches themselves then you keep those intact but it's up to you if you want to keep full books that's fine um some some people say it's like a safety issue i don't even know about that i've had lots of full books because yeah. i'm a lazy shucker and um i've never <laughs> had nothing shucker. catch I'm a lazy shucker yes. <laughs> and i've never had nothing catch on fire so okay. I, you know but it's interesting because if you uh i go to the casino collector show in las vegas every year mm-hmm. you won't find a lot of match covers there casino collectors if that's what they call themselves only like full book mm. so it just depends but it's up to you you know okay. like i really it's up to the person but overall uh, most people in the hobby do match covers so okay well that makes me feel kind of better because uh, as a child i started collecting matches because they're free in general and yeah. somewhere along the line my mom says take those out you'll burn the house down and so i had to take them all out so i just have the covers so you know i thought oh i lost all those matches you no know. no see your mom knew what was that <laughs> <laughs> she so. saved you a lot of, you know, heartache and, and work yeah. and trouble because it is a lot of work to shock. And um, okay. if you have new matches, it's easier because you can just do it by hand. But um, if you have older matches, like I have a little staple remover, and some people use all their little tools because you got to kind of pry the right. staple because it might be rusty or it's crumbly or something. So, I mean, if you can get it in the cover form, 
Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's great because that's yeah. less work that you have to do. So. Well, I do have a few, though, that still have the matches, and I don't think I will take the matches out in this case just because it's so old. I have, somewhere along the line, I came across uh, the Disneyland Tobacco Shop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I don't know how rare th- these things are, but I've never seen it before or since, so I have that and has a full matches in it, but, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I keep that. I think that one would look better kind of in a full book. Yeah. You but know, but no, the ones I great. have that I know she made me take out, but now I feel better about it, is uh, that uh, porno cartoon called Shame of the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, I want the matches in that, and my mom didn't care that there is... Uh, Porno penis pictures on it. She just didn't want <laughs> Even, the matches. In yeah, there. she just didn't want the matches in there. So this was like, okay, you know. But I, I kept it all these years because of being an animation fan. Well, your uh, mom's pretty cool. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> um, let's see. You know, have you ever considered, since you are a writer, uh, have you ever considered doing a book about your match collecting, or is it just kind of a side hobby? Well, um, there are a few books out there, and yeah. mainly there's nothing like written. It's just pictures of matches, yeah. and that's fine. Um, you know, and I actually my collection has been in books. People, do, you know, uh, the last one was someone did a book about like legendary Los Angeles restaurants, and I was contacted because they saw a cover I put somewhere, and I'm like, well, I got other stuff too. Mm. So they gave me credit in the book, and they used a lot of my matches and collectibles for that too um no i've I've thought about it i just didn't know which way i should go like if i should write about matches or the hobby or just Mm -hmm. pictures i mean you know there are a lot of people who have a lot of matches so i you know i don't know what my voice would be but i always try to put stuff on facebook or online and try to bring a more humorous voice to it or and a female voice to it because it is a very male dominated hobby As and um, <laughs> like like most hobbies you know yeah. most hobbies. <laughs> so, we're the weird um, sex yes anyway go ahead <laughs> well it is it's a very old hobby too and i'm not it's just back then if people liked collecting anything you know stamps matches everything like that the the hobby is just kind of dying mm-hmm. literally one because no one smokes anymore and two it's a lot of older people and unfortunately they are passing away or they just can't do it anymore so they get rid of their collection so i go out and i visit uh, we go to paper shows and car shows and events just to try to educate people and get people involved in match collecting just to show that um, it's not a dead hobby and there is a lot of cool things about it so it can either be like i said you're a history fan and you like the history aspect of it or the artwork Mm -hmm. um anything like that so we're always looking for people and i always tell people like i told you (laughs) you can collect however you want you know don't let the rules you know dissuade you from collecting so you know, I, I try. So. <laughs> now, you mentioned Charles Lindbergh. Uh, how far back do matchbook covers go where there's something printed on it that would be desirable? Well, the first friction match was patented in, like, in 1892. Okay. And so the actual matchbook uh, came out, like, you know, 1900, 19. 19- and that's when it really kind of got popular through Diamond Match. The oldest matches you can find still, um, they're rare, but they're usually like around World War One. Like there's a really popular, it's like a Knights of Columbus one that you'll see, and that's from World War I. Um, there are a few really, really old ones. In the hobby, we refer to any like 
cover as old mm-hmm. if it's pre-war. So it has to be before December 7th, 1941, mm-hmm. in the hobby rules to be considered, you know, legitimately old. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mainly find matches from the 20s. Like, I have quite a few from the 1920s. Okay. And I think that's just when, you know, the economy was good, times were good, and they just started producing them. Yeah. Because matches were really... You know, everyone had matches, but you were really selling matchbook advertising. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it really took off. Paps Blue Ribbon was like the first company to realize matches is a good advertising mm-hmm. medium. And they were the first ones to really start mass producing matches with Paps Blue Ribbon on it. Um, the majority you'll find now, match wise, um, I hate to say, but like if you go to a thrift store or an estate sale, things like that, um, they're usually newer. And you can tell um, if you look at the striker. So if you have a matchbook mm-hmm. and the striker's on the front, and mm-hmm. we call it a front striker, that's pre-1972. In 1972, the federal government made them change it to put the striker on the back. So that's how you can kind of date any matches that you may come across somewhere. Um, but the majority that I find now when I go out is rear strike, and that's after 1972. I never um, knew that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You're know, like, uh, and I don't know why. Just I know a lot of people still smoked in the 70s, but mm-hmm. they just pump those out like crazy. But, um, hmm. you know, especially here, like we live in California, uh, we have a lot of matches still floating around, old ones. Vegas, there's always a ton of Vegas matches, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just it depends where you live and whatnot for the amount that you'll find. But there, the matches are out there, old matches. You just have to, you know, look and pay attention. Usually someone's family has them. You know, it's like, oh, my grandma has a matchbook collection she left me that's sitting in the garage. Do you want it? And you're like, yes, I do. So. <laughs> now, um, I assume you don't just collect matches. I've seen some other stuff you've posted before. So what other things do you tend to collect in the same genres that you're talking about? Well, in the same genre, um, you know, I first collected ashtrays, actually. Oh. Uh, my mother worked at a thrift store, and she knew I liked, like, vintage Las Vegas stuff. So she would bring me Las Vegas ashtrays. So then I started collecting ashtrays, but it got to be too heavy and too fragile. (laughs) So I ended up going to an estate sale, and a a guy was a Greyhound bus driver and had a brandy sniffer full of matches. I'm like, oh, these are cool, you know, so I bought it. And I started collecting that way because I figured, oh, these aren't going to take up as much space and, Mm -hmm. you know, weight and fragile as, you know, the ashtrays. And so that's how I started with the matches. So I had matches for a while, but then... It branches off. So I have the matches. Um, I also have a napkin collection, which um, <laughs> I enjoy. I know, don't laugh. But, um, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, how hard are those to come by? Although I have a couple of myself from the past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, these are a little harder to come by if you care about condition. Because most of them were in a scrapbook. So I don't mind if they have, like, tape. You know, you'll see, like, that old tape. um residue on it and stuff like that from being in a book but some have food i've it's gross i've seen them like you know for sale there's a big old barbecue mouth stain on it and i'm like (laughs) i don't need it that badly you know (laughs) (laughs) you're like wow you're 20 dollars for this no i'm good um but no you're right i do like the uh i'm sorry the napkins because i do think they're a little more fragile Mm -hmm. but um most of the other paper stuff that I collect usually will resort back to matches because one of the categories when you make displays um, is called a combo. And so that's when you mix. So you have your matches, and then you can 
put postcards and napkins and other stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And so that always appeals to me. So I'll collect other paper things, but if they especially can tie into my matches somehow or mm-hmm. someday, I, I look at it and I, I'll buy it even more. But um, I like, you know, a lot of gambling or like Las vegas things. Um you know, California and cute stuff. You know, I am a, a woman. We do automatically like cute things. So, you know, um, if it's like a cute, you know, napkin matchbook, I'll, yeah. I'll collect it. But I have that. Um, you know, just random brochures or, uh, like I said, if it's something that appeals to me and I can tie it back somehow to my other collectibles, mm-hmm. then, then I collect it. Um, I did acquire a collection of vintage roller skating decals. So I guess wow. now we collect those. <laughs> Go figure. What so, is a um, roller skating decal? I'll describe that. <laughs> well, um, from my understanding, so you would go to your roller rink and they would give you decals. And they're like those old school ones where you have to like wet oh, yeah. and then you put them on. You know, and you would put them on your bag that held your roller skates or hmm. something. I, I guess that's the only way you would put them because I can't see them being on a car or maybe on your school book. I, I don't know. So they're re- they're really neat. Um, the funny thing is I don't know how to roller skate. I've never learned. But um, now I, I guess I'm you know into roller skating cows. So I have those. Um, and I don't even get as hardcore as some people. I know people who collect straw paper and uh, tea tags and... I do have a few sugar packets, but not nearly as much as other people. So, um, you know, anything's collectible, I guess, yeah, you yeah. know, if you think about it. <laughs> well, we mentioned my mom, and it's like she's passed away, but uh, she was an inadvertent collector, and when she did pass away, I found, like, old cereal boxes and everything, and, you know, she was just keeping because she was kind of a hoarder. <laughs> but then, but then, she was thinking ahead. But then when she passed away, I found some collectors. I did keep some of them because I like things like uh, Captain Crunch because of the Jay Ward characters and stuff. But yeah. I sold a lot of the the Kellogg's ones to this other collector, and you know I was happy to let it go, and uh, I got some money for it. So I was like, Good. "Hey, thanks, yeah. mom." You know, but anyway, um, let's see. What was I going to ask you? Uh, oh, um, so you you do a lot of thrift store shopping. Uh, you know, you've done a, a few videos on that. Uh, do you go with any sort of goal in mind, or are you just kind of seeing what's there, or combination of both? What? How, how do you normally shop? And well, I guess it depends on the thrift store. Yeah. And thrift store shopping now is nothing like it used to be, and I'm sure okay. you agree, and everyone yeah, yeah. agrees. Um, <laughs> You know, rarely do you ever come across a thrift store that has anything oldish, you know, or, or good. Um, there is one thrift store that I only go to now, and I, the only reason I go to it is because it is in an older neighborhood with richy kind of people. <laughs> so better stuff gets donated, you know. Um, but the thing is, I, I just think a lot of people don't like that stuff anymore. You'll go to a Goodwill, and it's like all new stuff. And it's packed. And I'm like, well, you know, I tend to go to the older thrift stores. And, you know, if we are in an older neighborhood mm-hmm. or a more prosperous neighborhood, you really do get better stuff. I don't go with any kind of mindset. Um, there's just certain sections I, I look at, you know. Um, I always go through bric-a-brac. I always like saying that, bric-a-brac. <laughs> um, I don't know where that term came from, but it's like Salvation Army calls their stuff bric-a-brac, so I always call it bric-a-brac. But, um, you know, and that's where, like, the ashtrays are and the glasses and things like that. Um, I do like books. 
So I always go to the book section because um, they usually have books, magazines. I give up looking for records, which is another big collection. I don't look at, for records at thrift stores anymore because I have not found a good thrift store record in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So don't even go for that. But it, it's amazing what you will find. I mean, you really do have to look and just look everywhere. I found a bag of, uh, there. you know, my... 76 gas station used to have the antenna ball yeah, right and you would put yeah. on your antenna i found like a bag of 30 of them and they were like six dollars and i'm like oh, I'll, I'll use these for something or I'll, I'll give them away you know but after all my research i found out that these were from the very first year that they were produced mm. so i sell them each now for like twelve dollars each so i've already made my money back wow. but <laughs> normally that would not be a thing i would look you know i would normally get but i was like eh, mm. you know and sometimes you do feel you have to catch yourself because you'll see something old that's cool but it's not nothing you really collect but you're like oh but i want to give it a good home like i don't want it you know yeah someone throw it out things like that and, and people fall into that trap all the time unless you like it and have a home for it or at least can give it to someone my advice is do not get it because then you're getting into hoarder territory <laughs> at, at that point you know but all i can say is keep an open mind Mm-hmm. When you go to a thrift store, because um, like I said, you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna find, mm-hmm. especially if it's a good thrift store. So now one one video you posted, I think it was about six months ago, so you probably don't even remember. But what I, <laughs> the item I'll tell you is like I I should have contacted you then, say pick that up for me. But I think you might have said it was already sold or something, and that you already had one. Uh, it was like a, a travel lodge uh, statue or decanter or something, and it had the sleepy oh. bear on it. And yeah, I have it. I bought it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I go, I want that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, that, that was like a, a total find. Like, I did not expect that okay. um, when I was there. Like, in the video, I even said that. I'm like, where'd this come from? You know? Yeah. Um, I have a new video coming up. I've just been really lazy because I did go to their store a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, at least when I went when the, I bought the bear, the thrift store was pretty packed with stuff. Mm-hmm. I went a couple of weeks ago. There was nothing. I was just walking around. And I'm like, what is this? Do you remember the record store chain Peaches? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was a set of mini Peaches crates still in the box. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. So I bought it. I'm like, where did this come? Like, really? Like, there was nothing. And this was just like, oh, like sitting there. So I bought it and I was going to try to put it together. But, um, wood's kind of old so i gotta get some glue to put it together but that's in my upcoming video but like i said i was just walking around and they put it in a like a section i think with all the other wood kind of stuff like wood shelves and wood because they don't they didn't know what it was and it was there so that just proves my point look everywhere because you'll find stuff that they misplace (laughs) you know things like that so but i'm glad you like the travel on your bear it it was pretty amazing so how how often do you come across that i mean i know you're not posting every time you go into the thrift shop here's another video but you know uh is that frequent nowadays or is that few and far between nowadays um i would say few and far between the fact that you saw that it still had the head even like i'm like wow that's (laughs) that because stuff gets lost and broken um you know, it's one of the bad things about when you go to the thrift store, as you know, is they tend to tape everything to death. So it ruined, like, even those peaches cartons I have, yeah. they taped them. So the tape ruined one of them, or mm. they write the price on things, and you're just like, oh, you ruin it. Huh. If you watch one of my old record videos, I complain about when they put the price tag on the record cover, and then it ruins the record cover. Yep. Yep. I, I, I get it. You know, it's a security thing. 
you want to keep stuff together. But uh, so fortunately for that travel lodge bear, they did tape his head and that saved it. But usually tape is the enemy when you go to any kind of their <laughs> store or show. So, but uh, well, I'll tell you what. If I find another one, it is yours. All right, thanks. We'll mail it to you right away. (laughs) The only the only travel lodge thing I found in the last couple years, and I'm in Oregon now, but I used to be in Northern California. Things are a little bit different in Oregon, so I do find things a little bit more frequently up here. It's just people just. It's a little bit slower up here, to put mildly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're behind the times, if you want to say it more uh, diplomatically. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I do find things. Uh, but I found a travel lodge booklet that was from, like, 1960 or something that had, like, oh, every, yeah. every location in it, a little photo of it and stuff like that. And it was a kind of goofy little booklet. And I said, oh, okay, I'll buy that. It was, like, a couple bucks. So yeah, I, those are cool. Yeah. I like those a lot. Yeah. And those help with research, too. Uh, and people don't think about that. So I like those kind of books because then I can look through and either check addresses on matches or locations also like restaurant review books mm-hmm. are really like old ones are really good too for any kind of paper collecting because at least it can kind of date when your matches were you know like you'll find one with a restaurant and if I have a review book from 1972 and it's in there I'm like mm-hmm. okay this is from 1972 ish and sometimes it just fills in the blanks like what kind of a place is this so any kind of those guides whether it's a hotel guide restaurant guide city guide travel guide um even just i mean now you don't think about it but back then if it's just a say you're visiting las vegas and you pick up a travel guide right you yeah. didn't think about anything then but now you're like oh look at the old ads and the old you know yeah. so it, it helps you date you know research any kind of paper stuff you have so i always recommend people picking up like you did hotel guides any kind of guides that you see so and i i used to do that i don't buy them too many but as a kid and you know all through my lifetime here so it's been a long time here (laughs) picking up uh brochures of like theme parks when you go to hotels and stuff like that and i used to just pick them up because i go oh yeah i went to marine land i like this little book that because there's no videos or anything at that time yeah and then now i have them and i go wow (laughs) where do you find this stuff it's like so i got tons of that type of stuff and you know i don't know do you ever come across stuff like that because i never see stuff like that of defunct theme parks and stuff yeah um, that stuff kind of goes for a lot just because you get the like the baby boomer people who are like oh i went there you know and so they want it as a memento um i do see stuff on occasion um and also like say marine land right yeah disneyland any of those kind of places it might be kind of rare just if it lasted so long in great condition but on the flip side millions of people visited these locations right so Mm -hmm. they weren't produced you know in a small amount of number but it's just how many have survived makes it a small number Uh, like as an example you get a lot of people like i collect las vegas everything right but Mm -hmm. i have las vegas matches Mm -hmm. you'll run across these people who are like oh i have you know, old Vegas matches, and I'll look, and I'll pass. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Oh, but these are old Vegas. And I'm like, <laughs> it was Las Vegas. Do you know how many millions upon billions upon billions of matches that were produced, you know, for a place like that? Like, mm-hmm. they're not that rare. So <laughs> it's just regarding, like, the Marineland stuff, Disneyland stuff, it is a little rare just because, like you said, some you kept it, but most people threw it away. You know, yeah. like, I don't need the 
the map. So it just depends. Some stuff, it's rare because not a lot existed, and some stuff is rare because they didn't make... Or did I have that backwards? <laughs> some of it's rare. See, come on. Some Thank of it's you. rare because... You know what I mean. Some of it's rare because it's just there's not a lot of that remain... And some of it's rare because there weren't a lot made. There right, we go. Like, right. There we go. Sorry, I'm blonding. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> now, on, on Vegas collecting, do you tend to favor, and I, I probably know the answer, but I ask anyway, uh, you tend to favor the casinos that are defunct and gone and imploded, as it were? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I will say, and, and I guess this comes back around to it, there's a lot of that kind of stuff around, and I love old Vegas, all the old, you know, the old El Rancho and the Flamingo and the, the Stardust and all that old Vegas stuff. Which, you know, a town like Vegas, I still find stuff I'd never seen before because there was such a turnaround all the time for people, um, promotions, campaigns, you know, anything like that. But my new favorite era, I guess, of Vegas is like that late 70s, early 80s Vegas mm. because Vegas was kind of like in a weird time a lot of those people who would go see frank sinatra you know weren't seeing frank sinatra anymore it was a lot more younger people but it wasn't yet family but like that stuff might be a little bit more rare because you know people don't think about that being a collectible you know what i mean like oh this is just from 1980 1980 was like 40 years ago almost you know so (laughs) you know it's still technically old but um i love all the old vegas stuff it's you know it's very because it was trying to appeal people, so a lot of it's very cartoony, but it's glamorous. Uh, there's just, I'll take it all, you know, and there's a lot of little casinos that only existed for like a minute, mm-hmm. right? That stuff's a little bit more rare, or they opened and couldn't get their gambling license, um, especially like when you go downtown. There's a lot of really old Vegas matches from there that are highly collectible, um, because Vegas... I think gambling became legal like in 1931. Mm-hmm. So that kind of from the 30s, all those are worth a lot, you know. Um, and you can tell, you'll see stuff, it still refers to it like it's Boulder Dam. Then you know it's before <laughs> it became Hoover Dam. Wow. Right? So um, I posted one on my Facebook from a place called the Northern Club, which was the very first establishment in Las Vegas to have gambling in 1931. And it was owned by a woman. which is pretty amazing at that point so you know that's the really super rare stuff is little hole in the walls things like that but i'll take imploded anything it's it's all good for me you know (laughs) regarding vegas yeah for me uh, in vegas stuff i tend to collect stuff if it has like some celebrity of the past especially if it's kind of one that's considered kind of campy or something like oh yeah i found postcards with toady fields on it oh, yeah. <laughs> i, I love toady <laughs> i found a magazine uh up here strangely enough uh it was the sahara magazine and it had buddy hackett on the cover and i was like wow <laughs> that's great and it was a little pricey but and i was walking around kind of going and then I ended up buying it I said I will never see this again (laughs) once you start now it's going to just get worse you know and I posted it and uh at the time when I got it and a few people that I know are like fans of Buddy Hackett or that type of stuff said where in the world did you get that (laughs) so I guess it is pretty rare I didn't think of it as that way I just said well that's a cool cover but it's like I mean I'll tell you the price it was 30 bucks and it was just a slim magazine it's like 30 bucks 
whatever, you know, but yeah. <laughs> ended up doing but, it. And, <laughs> and that magazine was, might have only been out for a week because Buddy Hackett was appearing at the Sahara. Yeah, it was for something like that, or week. maybe a month or something, but yes. Yeah, so yeah. Very short, very limited distribution. So. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? What else? Uh, so, you are an author as well. And yeah, I kind of, I guess. And I, I kind of mentioned that. Well, you mentioned you're a writer somewhere, so I'm trying to. <laughs> I, I don't feel like a writer, but yeah, I guess I am. Well, you know. said so. I'm trying to. I know. <laughs> anyway, okay, we'll go by your books. Uh, uh, we'll save the third one for last uh, that I know about. The first two I don't know about. So, first one is Overbite. What is that about? Oh, well, Overbite. Um, I wrote two novels, and okay. then I did my my third book, the one that you're going to bring up. Yeah. But um, Overbite was. Um, it kind of took my love for vintage stuff and vintage LA, and I kind of mixed it with vampires. But it's not your traditional like cheesy vampires. It's more like flipped so it was like the vampire was the good guy and the humans were the bad guy but it took place it's vintage you know 1950s los angeles um i wrote that quite a while ago but you know i always try to take a different viewpoint or go a different way when it comes to vampires and not write the traditional typical stuff and i tend to look at it more like there are people too they just drink blood <laughs> you know, so um, that's overbites more like that. So it's just you know, a, it's a, a tale that takes place in 1950s Los Angeles involving vampires. You know, mm-hmm. so he's a dentist. That's why it's called Overbite. So, okay. you know. well, what inspired you to write it? I mean, obviously you said you know Los Angeles collecting and vampires, but I mean, do you have a love for horror movies? Or did somebody say, hey, why don't you write a novel? Or blah blah blah. Well, I've always liked um, kind of like cheesy vampire movies. Like, um, I still like Once Bitten is great. Um, my Best Friend's a Vampire. Like, all those 80s vampire movies were really actually my inspiration. Um, you know, I love Count Yorga. You know, it's one of my other favorites. But, um, you know, I'm not a hardcore horror movie person, surprisingly. Um, so I just, I don't know. I, I like vampires better than zombies. <laughs> So I guess I went in that direction. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess, I used to write a lot more. I think before, you know, we had uh, other things to keep us busy. So uh, I wrote that, and then my other novel, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, is Welcome to Slumberland. Okay, I got um, those reversed. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's okay. Um, that one, see, I took a different way with the vampire. So I did. There's a vampire in that way. Sorry, spoiler alert. But, um, oh, I'm not reading it now. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, anyway, spoiler alert. Right? So, <laughs> so anyways, um, but that had to deal with more with, like, goth kids and, and townies. And, you know, um, it kind of took the the other way where it's like, oh, let's pretend we're vampires. Oh, no, there's, now there's a real one. So I wrote that, like, 20 years ago, if not more. But it was just, you know, I don't know. I just felt like writing novels, and I went in those directions. Um it was just an yeah. exercise to see if you could do it, or were you having a plan to ever be a writer? Or? Oh, no, I've always liked writing. Um, okay. You know, growing up, I always wrote, um, you know, it's one of those things where just I happened to be kind of good at it growing up, and I always was a reader, so I always liked to write. Um, you know, I used to do a zine. When I was in high school, I did a zine, and um, like everyone did, you know. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> Um, mostly like music, oh, like okay. punk rock, kind of, you know, of course, high school punk rock scene, of course. What else am I going to do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Welk? I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, so, I know. 
I wasn't in the comic books, so I didn't do like zines like you did. Cause I, you know, but um, no, it was just about music. So I did zines, and I would write for other people and things like that. So I just like to write. Uh, I don't think I had dreams of being some kind of big author. It was just something to do. Mm-hmm. I guess, and to be creative because um, despite being a Pisces, I am not very creative mm. at all. I can't paint, can't draw, I can't, you know, I'm not good at anything else creatively. What? So it was always writing. And I used to play music too. So I guess, is, the, you know, those are my two creative outlets at that time. Is Pisces so. supposed to be more creative? I didn't know that. Yeah, you're supposed to be more artistic and creative. Oh, but, okay. Uh, okay. Not, not me. I'm adopted or something because I. <laughs> I am the most un-Pisces Pisces you ever meet, okay. so, you know, but, um, no, I just wrote, and I just think now, um, the older I get, you know, the, you know, other stuff comes up, mm. you know, and, you know, it's not time to sit down and write a novel anymore, but I always have lots of ideas, you mm. know, and just, if I, you know, get the time, perhaps, you know, I'll start Okay, writing, so there's no real know. ambition necessarily at the moment to do a third novel, just, you know. I'm trying to think of good ideas, you know, and I, I don't know. I guess I don't, not that I'm good at characters. Mm-hmm. I'm good at characters. I'm good at the background and everything like that. Just plot is is always kind of, or like I have a plot, but it's just getting from A to B to C. Nowadays, I'm just, in my old age now, I like to like plot everything out <laughs> in general, right? <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I guess that's what I mean is in my other books, I just sat down and wrote. Like, I had no idea where I was going with it, I, you know. But now, as a perfectionist, I'm, I feel like I need to, you know, this is what happens, then this, and then this, and then this, and then, you know. And that's where I feel is my problem, because, like, unless I get everything perfect right there, I can't move on. You know what I mean? Like, it, I just, I don't know. It's a matchbook collecting vampire that yes. stalks Las Vegas. There, there's your... There book. we go, perfect. I'll give that to you, uh, free of charge. Anyway. Copyright Mark Arnold, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned music, and of course this leads to your third book, and probably yes. I would venture your most successful book, and you can give the full title, I just have the short version, Morrissey Fack. <laughs> Morrissey, yes, Morrissey FAQ, everything you need to know about this charming man, yes, Um, that was an actual real book, Mm -hmm. the real publisher, I know. know. Well, I have other ones, I don't have the Morrissey one, to be honest, so I haven't read it, but I know who Morrissey is, he was in the Smiths, and I have have things like Monty Python FAQ, if you say, I always called it fact till this moment, (laughs) and and Beatles fact, and stuff like that, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Well, no, I was very... I honored to write the book. Um, what happened was, uh, I had a friend who read, wrote, not wrote, read my uh, Welcome to Slumberland book. I was pretty impressed, which I'm very honored, really. <laughs> this person, I think, is amazing. So the fact that they liked it was like the best thing. I was like, oh my god, like it was very, I was very honored that he liked this book. Anyways, he suggested I write the Morrissey book, and I went ahead and did, and my outline was accepted, and I was like, oh okay, I've never written a nonfiction book so um i just i went ahead and and did it and i think it came out okay mm-hmm. you know um for my first time you know there's a lot to write about morrissey so you know you can't get every single little thing i mean even when i was writing it mm-hmm. i was like almost done and i'm like oh morrissey's releasing a new album tomorrow and i'm like oh man now i gotta like <laughs> morrissey and then, and then morrissey releases autobiography like when I was in the middle of writing this. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna just give up now. Like what? Yeah. Am I gonna write this? You know? <laughs> Go buy the more C 
crazy book, guys. So, um, but no, I, I really enjoyed writing that. Um, you know, I, I thought I knew everything about Morrissey, but I, I didn't. I learned a lot through writing it. So, um, no, it was a, it was a great time. I got to go like on a book tour and sign books and meet people and, and things like that. So it was it was totally fun. It's a lot of work. You know, I kind of thought writing a nonfiction book would be better than writing a fiction book because you're just writing facts. You're not having to, like, think. You know, and, and, <laughs> That's and, and what create. I do when I write my books anyway. I don't right? think. Anyway, but, <laughs> go ahead. But, no, it, it, it was a lot of work. But, you know, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, I'm very, like yeah. I said, I'm very humbled and honored that I was able to write this book. And, you know, someone's thought so highly of my my writing. Now, so. now the million dollar question of course is uh, did yes. you actually meet the man or talk to the man or no. anybody in the Smiths or anything else? No. Okay. No. Okay. No. no. Um, but you know I don't know how I would be able to you know especially like I said Morphe was releasing his book at the same time like he ain't gonna talk to me. Like hey, can I answer a couple questions? He's like yeah here's an answer. Buy my book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> thanks Morphe. Thanks. I will. So thanks. So um Although now, since you wrote the book, you can go up to him. Hey, look, I wrote a book about you, and they go, "Please, no." That's what we always joke. Like we we're gonna go see him. I was gonna throw a copy of the book on stage. Like, yeah, yeah. read my book. You know. So, yeah, I had the same issue. You know, I did uh, Monkey's book in recent times, and we thought because the monkeys are getting older, they've been around forever. That's it. We got everything in the book, and then now they put out a Christmas album. So, oh, uh, okay, so it's a year later, but oh well. Um, so, will this uh I don't know how that publisher works. I know, like I said, there's a zillion FAQ books on TV shows and movies and uh, comedy teams and uh, directors and musicians and artists and blah, blah, blah. Um, is there any need for any further books now that you did the Morrissey book? Like you said you were interested in punk rock. Would they approach you to do a different group that you're uh, interested in or anything like that? Well, I, I guess I would have to approach them. Um, I was... Well, at the same time I was doing my book, they had someone doing a Smith's FAQ. And I'm like, oh, okay, really? like, I don't know, maybe maybe he sent his in at the same time or whatever, and um, that, which is fine. You know, I was more happy covering solo Morrissey, and you can do Smith's, although I did put a little bit of Smith's in my, yeah. my book. And so I thought it would be great to work in tandem, you know what I mean, like put us out together, but that never happened, but whatever. <laughs> um, I, no, I was thinking about, and I know this is so, I wanted to do a Columbo book, and I wanted to do a Columbo FAQ, because my, <laughs> my other love is Columbo and Dragnet and all these, you know, old police TV shows, and I actually did an outline for the Columbo book, and I thought it was okay, but um, someone talked me into not doing it, you know, mm. I was like, that's stupid, no one's gonna buy it, so I was kind of like, eh, so I, I abandoned my Columbo book, but I don't know if anyone would buy a Columbo FAQ, you know what I mean, so well, I, I don't know. Well, I know a, a man I just interviewed a couple uh, podcasts ago, Troy Horworth would buy it, because he's a huge Columbo fan, so... Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> 
Um, but you know his his expertise. If you don't know, who he is uh, is uh, Italian horror films. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. He's so, on my Facebook. Yeah. So, so that, but he, he's a fan of uh, Columbo and Kojak and British comedy. He told me, but we never even talked about it with him because you know we we're just talking about Mario Bava and uh, yeah. Lucio Fulci and all those type of people that you know. You know, I didn't even know very well. It's like I know Mario Bava, but you know, it's like so. I even thanked him. I said, "Wow, I got an education on this." Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I could say the same thing about Morrissey and the Smiths. I mean, I know like uh, their records and collected them, but I really didn't. Uh, you know, I don't know too much about the man himself, or you know, that's just he puts out records every so often. Yeah. You know, um, so I'll have to probably research your book too, just because I'm curious. I'll send you one. All right, so, cool, cool. send me your address, I'll send you one. All so. right, sounds good. <laughs> hey, that's how, you, that's how you get books, folks. Just do a that's podcast. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Colombo a little bit. Uh, okay. what, what, what do you know about Colombo that would be oh, interesting to readers if you made a book such like that? Well, you know, I, I think there's a lot to, I, and I guess, too, you would have to be a fan of either old TV or old police kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I don't know, I find stuff fascinating about Columbo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was a different kind of show at the time. For one, you saw who did it, and you saw the crime before Columbo even showed up on, you know, screen. Right. And it was just a different format. It did kind of take that, you know, Columbo's all messy and a slob and stuff, but he's secretly <laughs> brilliant, you know. Uh, but there's something everyone loves about Columbo, you know. Um, you know, now, of course, now I can't think of my Columbo stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Good. I just, I, but I do think a lot of other police TV shows took a lot from Columbo. I mean, as soon as Columbo came on, mm-hmm. then they started having, other than Kojak, they think Kojak came on at the same time. Right. Then they started having all these other, you know, one name police shows coming up in the 70s but just even the format of Columbo has shown in other TV shows even like SVU and all these other new kind of police shows I think owe something to Columbo Um, you know and whereas uh, you know Columbo you gotta kind of watch it with a grain of salt because really most of those cases if they went to court they would not be convicted because it's all (laughs) circumstantial or you know Columbo tricked them or whatever you know and this doesn't make good but uh, i mean so is it it's still good you know but um one also thing i do like about watching colombo is you notice if you watch colombo all he does is go after like rich white people right <laughs> and, and that's even better because it's true like, he's not going after any black people any other ethnicity you know he it's always you know the people you really love to hate so i don't know if you look at it as you know working class versus upper class you know or anything like that but it it is a good point to make that you know they felt like no let's go after the you know the people who think they are too smart and too good for colombo and middle class people i never really thought about that way but that is interesting it's true and, and even if you watch if you watch dragnet yeah. Or, you know, Adam-12, any of that too, especially Dragnet. It's kind of the same thing. Like, they don't go after any really ethnicity. Um, Joe Friday is, is on those shows is actually very, you know, there's that episode where the the cop was yelling at the, the black policeman, and Joe Friday's like, you know, we don't have an issue with its color, neither should you. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, believe it or not, a lot of that was ahead of its time. Even if you watch the black and white Dragnet, right. um, they have a Hispanic officer, mm-hmm. and Joe Friday had a Hispanic partner at one point, you know, and they had... Um, 
some girls who spoke Spanish and a guy would translate. So it was very uh, a good representation of Los Angeles at that time. Mm-hmm. So Dragnet, I, I mean, Columbo, I think, even kind of took from that a little bit. Like, it's 70s, it's decadence, it's ridiculous, <laughs> you know, white people, let's, you know, let's bring them down to our level again. And, and the working class, like Columbo and Joe Friday, mm-hmm. you know, so... <laughs> Speaking of Dragnet, the only thing he didn't like was Dirty Hippies. I remember that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, have you watched other than the, the 60s Dragnets? Did no, you I've, watch, seen, like, the the 50s? I've yeah. seen the 50s ones and listened to many of the radio shows. So Yeah. Well, do you, do you ever notice, like, the uh, Joe Friday, like, his life in general, though? So, like, in the radio shows, he's still, like, living at home. Yeah. Right, with his mom, yes. and he's, like, a new police officer. <laughs> Smoking for team you know? of cigarettes, yes. Yeah, for team of cigarettes, you know. <laughs> cool you know when you smoke them right yeah so but then in the 50s show he's kind of like cool like joe friday's like you know he's not all lectury you know like he is he even has a sense of humor and he's just kind of you know tough cop but not too tough and he's working and you know good for the police department well then when it came back in the 60s he's clearly old older you know and that's why they make him do all the the desk stuff, like, oh, the president's coming to town, or now you got to go be the community service officer and things like that. And he is a little bit more lectury <laughs> and about the hippies and stuff because I think he's just, he's older and, you know, he's seen a lot and the times are changing and things like that. So, I mean, if you really watch it, you really do see the character of Joe Friday, you know, grow up or, you know, change with the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those 60s lectures are pretty, pretty good in a bad way (laughs) well those are the ones i saw first because you know when i grew up in the 70s it was like black and white was i've said this to many people black and white except for maybe i love lucy was verboten i mean they didn't even show like black and white gilligan's island episode and i never understood that it's like you know it was kind of like a you know a rare elk day or something like that it's like if they showed one and i'd be like what i've never seen this one before why don't yeah. they show this stuff i had no problem with black and white but i didn't even know gilligan's island was in black and white you know <laughs> until later on you're right all they showed was color of gilligan's oh. island so um and you know blue boy was my very first dragnet episode i think i've ever seen <laughs> when i was a kid and uh and I would stay up late and watch Nick at night, you know, with my mom or whatever. And even that, like, scared me because his face was all painted. And I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> so I think Blue Boy should be everyone's entry into the realm <laughs> of Dragnet, you know. So, so that start there. Then, mm-hmm. you know, work your way back or whatever. So... Now, uh, let's see. Going back to Columbo, I was going to say something yes. about that. Um, Let's see. Um, blah, blah, blah. Columbo started as a TV movie, right, in like 1968 or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, well, they had a play first, the um, Prescription oh. Murder, and then it became in 1968. That was like the, the TV movie. Okay. So Peter Falk played it kind of. I mean, his hair was brushed, you know, he was wearing like a nice suit and things like that. But they realized what a good character Columbo was just in general. So they're like, oh, well, let's, you know, see where we can take it. So then that was in 68. And then, like, in 70, they had, like, the pilot, uh-huh. um, which was the ransom for a dead man, I think, is that one with Lee Grant. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, a TV movie as an introduction to Columbo, and then it kind of went from there. Um, I do think they started making the Columbos, and then NBC liked it so much even before it aired. They're like, you need to make us a couple more episodes for the first season so I, I think they knew they had a hit 
No, I, I don't know if I've seen those earlier ones or not. I just remember watching it when it was on, but uh, and seeing a few in reruns later. But uh, did he start off the same way where you know they saw them or they show the murder or whatever the crime, and then he kind of bumbles his way through it, or was that a later uh, evolution of the character? Well, it all kind of started like they would show the crime first, and then so you know, and it basically the show is just seeing how Columbo figures it out but after a while they started like he was popping up sooner you know before he saw the crime like there's an episode with um, Jackie Cooper was the senate candidate and Columbo's right there at the very beginning you know because he's working the the detail to protect him from the you know shooter or whatever so they started playing with the format a little bit um, towards the end like in those later 70s ones uh, the only issue I have is there's a few episodes where it was like Columbo shows up and it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard you know like he's like, he's like okay guys I'm here you know yeah. and um, it's not like the same and in the later ones he doesn't seem to come across so like befuddled you know mm-hmm. um, where he, he puts on that act of you know oh I'm just an idiot you know mm-hmm. so um, and I, and I just I think it has to do with different writers mm. you know because they did have a lot of writers throughout the series um, you know the first episode not the ransom for a dead man, but the actual first episode, which has Jack Cassidy and Martin Milner in it, uh, was directed from Steven Spielberg. You know, and they always had top-notch people on Columbo. So whether it was Steven Spielberg or they'd have Stephen Bochco was always on there. Um, you know, great people who went on to do great things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like Murder She Wrote is a descendant somehow of Columbo. Right. Um, Matlock, Diagnosis Murder, uh, all of those somehow have some kind of connection to Columbo, mm-hmm. whether it's writers, producers, things like that. So, Although, it's kind of funny you mentioned Murder, She Wrote. I, I always thought this about Murder, She Wrote, is that it, it seems like she was always there exactly when the murder <laughs> happened. Was it, why wasn't she the prime suspect number one in every case? Exactly. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. It, that didn't occur to me when I was watching Columbo. You know, he seemed like, oh, he arrived on the scene and he was trying to figure it out. But she always was, like, there and knew what was going on. And it's like, well, and here's the murder weapon in my hand, you know, <laughs> with yeah. blood still dripping off of it. You know? <laughs> but especially because she lived, like, in a little town, right? Yeah. Like, how many people, like, like Columbo lives in the city of Los Angeles, which is, you know, millions of people, where she lived in some little town. I'm like, how many people are dying in this town, you know? So, yeah, you're absolutely right, you know, it was just... So, I, I, I never warmed to that one as much, my, this was a zillion years ago, but it was when it was on my ex-wife, like, it was, was thrilled with the show, and I just said, well, this is so silly, it doesn't make sense yeah. to me. But I would watch it anyway, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, Columbo always appealed to me only for from the standpoint is he just seemed like such a buffoon and I you know I kind of identified with him I said you know if I was solving crimes I'd probably do it like him <laughs> yeah. know, unintentionally it'd just be like you know eh, well let me ask you this uh, okay <laughs> now and, and, <laughs> go ahead and, and, and I'm sorry um no and, and the best part of Columbo too is always like the ending like how he gets them mm-hmm. you know because you're like oh yeah that's good you know yeah. um one of my favorite episodes is the one with Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm. and the ending is superb on that one about how he gets him. And some of the times it's far-fetched, but, you know, <laughs> I guess he has the time to, that's why he's a lieutenant, you know, he has time to think of this. Um, 
you know that and when you do watch Columbo there's sometimes the the suspect you do sympathize with them because like especially like with that Dick Van Dyke one you're like god his wife is so terrible you know like oh I'd kill her too you know um <laughs> So some of them are like like the William Shatner one from the seventies. You feel a little bad for him on that one too. But um, yeah, sometimes it makes it so good. You're just like waiting for Columbo to drop the the bomb, and it, is, it makes it even better the fact that they just assumed he was an idiot. Yeah, you yeah. know, and he's just boom done. He drops the mic. You know, walks away. So now there's uh, no right or wrong, but it, just your opinion uh, is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they do zillion reboots nowadays, which I'm not a big fan of, like Magnum P.I. and Hawaii Five-O and blah, blah, blah. Um, if they redid Columbo now, do you think they could do it, or is Peter Falk one of a kind? Well, because how would they do it? I mean, like, say, cause they remember they brought back Dragnet with Ed O'Neill, right, yeah. like in the 90s. Um, that you can kind of do, because, you know, you don't... Joe Friday, although he's like a tough character, it's not just like so much out of the realm of someone else doing it if you if someone did a Columbo you know reboot would you want them to be like oh you know just one more thing sir you know like like <laughs> how would you you know or do you want them to just be kind of like a different kind of a slob or just you know like I don't know are you going to get some young guy who lives on his mom's couch but he's really a lieutenant you know and he's a, a slob that way I don't know like John C. Riley. there we go <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know like how is he you know is he just I think if you did a reboot of Columbo you would have to completely re redo the slobbiness somehow or come up with some other kind of characteristic like that like maybe make him autistic you know what I mean like mm -hmm. oh you know People wouldn't think he figured it out, but oh man, he got it like that. I don't, I don't know. Mm, okay. you know? <laughs> I don't watch reboots, so I don't know how they did the Magnum P.I. Or... Well, I saw a clip of it the first time um, on another podcast, uh, Stu's show, and uh, they were, he had TV historians with him, and they were showing you know the new reboots or what they, you know, I guess they're not all reboots. Uh, some are remakes or whatever, but uh, yeah, Magnum is like it's magnum in name only and basically fast and furious so, yeah so that's how they remade it but even hawaii Five O is you know young hunks on the beach that's how i call that one you know it's like yeah. there's no one with the like the grittiness of jack lord on that series so it's like i, I i'm with you i don't like these remakes because they they're reboots or whatever because they they just are in name only they don't even bother to make it you know anything like the original like even if you know like the dragnet one you mentioned with ed o'neill i actually kind of like that one he wasn't trying to be jack webb but he kind of got the flavor of it so you go okay he understands how it was done let's do it again you know yeah, or do it like i don't even mind the the dragnet movie from the 80s with dan Aykroyd and tom hanks oh yeah um i liked that when i was a kid and i've watched it since then and i think they did a really good job with that because they did enough of uh, homage to old Dragnet, but they made it more contemporary for the 80s at that time, you know, yeah. and it kind of made sense. Like, the Dan Aykroyd character was a descendant of Joe Friday, and then they had Harry Morgan show up as Bill Gannon as the right. chief or whatever, but they had a, a new partner, right? You know, like, there was enough. I think that was a really great crossover reboot at that time. So if maybe they looked back on that and tried to figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe this, the kid could have been, you know, Thomas Magnum's whatever nephew and you know have Tom, I don't you know some I think you still need a little bit of the old I don't know yeah, I just think well, that Dragnet movie was really well 
executed. On the Magnum one, the clip I saw, it looked like there was none of... I wasn't a big fan of the original Magnum, but I could see that Tom Selleck was and is kind of a, a charming person, you know. There's a, you know... For people who really like him, you know, I could see why people watch him. Um, I always thought the show was kind of lightweight in the old version, but it seems preferable to the new version to me. Yeah. You know, even you know, I can even tell that. You know, and so it's, it's kind of weird when they do these remakes. Why even bother calling it? Why don't they just call it Fast and Furious, the TV show, or whatever? Yeah. Because that was what it was like—just faceless people racing cars, and you know, basically the car the car flipped upside down. The scene I saw. Everybody died except for the two main characters. Silly! How would that happen? Why? Why would yeah. that happen? You know. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think too, like uh, other than Columbo, which is the only example I can think of that does not fall into this. Most good characters are only as good as the supporting characters. Yeah. So I grew up watching Magnum because my dad watched Magnum, mm-hmm. and yeah, we all like Tom Selleck. But you know what? Higgins was great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you talk Magnum PI, everyone's like, oh, you know. John Hillerman and Higgins, and there was, you know, I can even still remember all of the supporting characters because they were also complimentary to, you know, Thomas Magnum, and they were good on their own, you know. Um, even the dogs, I remember, you know, the lads, you know, you know, it was a good supporting cast. So unless you have that, no main character is going to be great or that memorable. So maybe that's why these new reboots, yeah, there's also not likable or unique enough supporting characters in it. I, I don't know. Well, in the new Magnum... I, I didn't see the Ghostbusters either. I didn't see the female Ghostbusters. I did. So I, I did. I'll talk about that in a second. But the <laughs> Higgins in the Magnum is a blonde British lady now, so... Oh, really? Yes. So, uh, very different. Okay. okay. <laughs> anyway. Well, there is only one John Hilmer but still, you know. <laughs> and no mentions of macadamia nuts. So. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Does it take um, place in Hawaii still? I couldn't tell from what it was. Uh, you know, the clip was so short. I assume, but you know, honestly, I don't know. So okay. it looked like L.A. to me, but you know, anyway, it could be Honolulu, <laughs> but you know, it's like I don't know. Um, but on the Ghostbusters, I will say this: I know before that Ghostbusters came out, there was a big backlash. Oh, they're doing it with women, blah 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 blah. And I decided to go in with you know open eyes and just say, well, let's see what they did, you know. I actually liked it. I didn't love, love, love it because there's problems with it, but it had nothing to do with it having women in it. It had more to do with kind of just too many trips to the well, I guess is the best way to say it. I mean, Ackroyd's even trying to push a Ghostbusters 3 still after Harold Ramis's death, which... I'm like, why? You know, it's like you guys yeah. are 100 years old now. It's like, and, you know, I guess they could bring Ramus back as a ghost, you know, or something like that, you know. And, yeah. and, That's and, the ghost they need to bust. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it could work that way. But on the on the female Ghostbusters, it actually worked pretty well. I the part I actually really liked is, um, you know, in the original Ghostbusters, what's the actress's name? That was kind of like their secretary, and she was later on. Oh, undesign- Annie Potts. Yeah, her, and she was on Designing Women. Um, in this one, they have, uh, and I don't know his name either off the top of my head, but the guy who plays Thor in the Marvel movies, he's like their ditzy male secretary, and he's really funny. I was like surprised, you know, and this is before. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, so which he's very funny in too. So, you know, he has a good sense of humor. I like the guy. <laughs> it's like, okay. but you know, so I'd recommend it. I wouldn't say it's like you know the a number one best movie ever, but I mean, it's not as 
dismally bad and unwatchable as a lot of people claim. You know, it's it's decent. I'd give it a B. You know. Okay. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan boy or fan girl of anything really. Yeah. Um, but so I didn't get the backlash about it. I mean. I just, I don't know, I just didn't care either way. I'm like, okay, I'm, I wouldn't go see it if it was men or women. Yeah. You know, like, in it. Like, I, I don't see what the the big hate was, but I'm glad you said it was decent. You know, yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. me feel better. So... <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I would say, if anything, I think it's better than Ghostbusters 2, if you saw that one. So, well, um, that's not hard. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> the best thing about Ghostbusters 2 is the Bobby Brown song, you know, really, <laughs> if you think about it. So, I, I, I only seen uh, Ghostbusters 2 once at the drive-in, you yeah. know, when I was a yeah. kid. And I'm like, I never feel the need to, you know, to watch it again. But I'll listen to that Bobby Brown song yeah, over and yeah. over. That was great. So. The, the only part I remember in Ghostbusters 2, honestly, Honestly, and I, I don't even own it, so I haven't watched it in years. I think I've seen it a couple times. Is just that they had the ghosts of the people on the Titanic, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But other yeah. than that, I don't even remember what really happened. I don't even happens. remember that, yeah. yeah. So I'll take your word on it. <laughs> Well, I, I had a friend uh, who I haven't talked to in years, but he was a huge Titanic buff. And so I learned everything and anything. So when the James Cameron Titanic movie came out, uh, I, I knew where they were spot on and where they were wrong about factual information about oh, yeah. what, what went on. And it was kind of interesting to see it for that reason. Like, Did you go see it with your friend? Uh, actually, no, but... Uh, uh, you know, we talked about it at the time, you know, and, and the main factual error, of course, is uh, no one in steerage would ever uh, uh, fraternize with somebody in first class. It just would not happen, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, at that time. But, you know, hey, you got to tell a story, so that's why you get Leonardo and What's-Her-Face together, you know? It's like... <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm willing to sustain, you know, um, enough disbelief or belief you know what i mean like it's yeah. for entertainment you know True. um but that's why i wondered if you went and saw it with your friend because that would have been like a miserable experience because he'd be like well no we talked like, about Dude. it afterwards but that was the main <laughs> thing it's like that would never happen but you know i was amazed when that movie came out actually it's like you know that cameron w went to the levels of actually printing up plates with the white star line on them to make them authentic it's like they're on the screen for like 30 seconds at best crashing off of shelves and breaking <laughs> and you actually yeah. had to print little flags on each one wow <laughs> so yeah well, you but know, i guess people I, I guess will check with their blu-rays yep 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 uh it's accurate here you know so okay <laughs> well, well it's funny you say that because i noticed like when I, I bought like a brand new tv it's a couple years ago but you know big hd really nice all I do is watch Columbo and YouTube rips on it, right? So I'm not even getting the full HD, what it's made for. But I do watch Columbo, and I do see a lot of um, discrepancies. But I think it's because I don't think they ever imagined that we'd be watching something like that, like on a, a huge TV and a good TV like that, you know? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> you think at the time, oh, no one's going to notice there's no flags on the plates, but with technology someone's gonna be like oh yeah you know those plates aren't real they say you know ever on them so yeah you're totally right about that <laughs> so uh anything else you want to talk about I think we're no we've, we've talked about a lot <laughs> <laughs> i told you it's pretty free form i can just kind of go all over the place you know it's like i usually try to plug uh people's books and things like that so i'll give you the opportunity now um do you have anything to plug any new projects uh any websites anything else 
Well, my books are available on Amazon.com, and I have some here. So find me on Facebook or whatever, and I will send you a copy. Um, I am trying to work on a podcast. You know, and, you know, I was doing my YouTube channel for a while, which you guys can go to, youtube.com slash McKinney. Um, I'm not a very technologically savvy person, as you can tell, because, you know, <laughs> I'm watching Columbo on a big team, you know. But um, I need help with stuff. So I'm going to try to learn how to do a podcast, like you. So I'm going to try to do a podcast. We're going to talk matches. We're going to talk about just anything. Uh, doesn't have to be history, but we'll see how it goes so that's gonna be my new project i'm working on and like because of your encouragement i'll think about writing but anyways <laughs> check out my youtube channel check out my books and check me out on facebook and um i'm always available to talk matches so if you find matches and need some advice um anything you want me just to come talk matches um, i have a whole slideshow anything match related paper related ephemera related let me know i'm always available the top paper. So, are you going to call your show Meh? <laughs> Meh. <laughs> well, my my Instagram page is called Down to Shuck, you know, because I'm always down to shuck, you know. Um, or no, I do my little video, my mornings with Myrtle. I always think I thought about calling the podcast that too, you know. <laughs> but um, we'll we will see. There will be Meh in there somewhere, though. You know that for sure. So. <laughs> All right. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you today. And, Same here. Thank uh, you. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Talk Thanks. To you talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Denise McKinney, for being my special guest. Episode number 20 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a Patreon of Fun Ideas Productions. If any, if everyone, if anyone listening <laughs> just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night. <laughs>